kingdom gives significance to every person on the planet. Kingdom living gives significance to everyday life, life, life. We need big thinkers to stay big, but we need to be involved in the kingdom stuff. You've got to find significance in that, and the kingdom gives you significance. And live in the kingdom would experience massive opposition. Jesus says the kingdom suffers violence. The kingdom is not in threat. Though those who want to live in the kingdom, they want to live under the rule and the reign of Christ, you will be challenged. You will be opposed. You will have the devil throwing all sorts of things at you to prevent you from the kingdom. Paul says in the Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of the main is the jurisdiction. It's like a magisterial district. You've been delivered from that domain of darkness and you've been transformed, transferred into the kingdom, the realm of God, of His beloved Son. It was touched on earlier on. The kingdom of God is the promised land. That's the picture. The promised land is the, is the, the picture of coming in to God's blessing and peace and favor and dominion. And as we know, there were giants in the land. They didn't just waltz in and say, God says, this is ours, here we are. No. The kingdom suffers violence. You want to move ahead in God, you will be obstructed in many ways by the devil. And that's why Joshua and Caleb, just the two out of them said, we can do it. Because they knew in God they could possess the land. And they had that privilege. Friends, I hope there's a stirring and a hunger in you. As Chanel shared last night as she was driving along here, just this, this hunger. Friends, hunger attracts the presence of God. The hunger draws the word, the nourishment, the life, the river of God. And if you have a hunger to enter into the promised land, understand there will be giants. But we are able. Think of how Jesus was hampered. How his kingdom message came up against a brick wall again and again and again. It was violently opposed. Tried to kill him as a baby. Eight specific times they tried to kill Jesus. Eight specific times. He experienced incredible opposition, even from his own disciples. He had incredible temptation. And friends, it's not just the 40 days in the wilderness. That was like a mega dose. But he was tempted, tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Because he brought the kingdom, there was this incredible opposition. Friends, the moment you put your hand up for the kingdom, 
Expect opposition. Expect challenge. <laughs> Peter says, don't, don't get surprised when you've got problems. This is the testing of your faith. You want to be in the kingdom. You want to be a kingdom person. You want to come under the governance of Jesus. It's going to be contested. As sure as night turns today. The moment you put your hand up to be a kingdom person. The moment you as a leader put your hand up to have a kingdom church. Or you have a kingdom vision. It's going to be violently opposed. Jesus said, listen, if the world hates you, know that it first hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, the enemy does not actually Mind religion. I think he loves religion. Because religion never changes people. Religion never advances the kingdom of God. Religion does not bring the life and flow of the river of life. All it does is help people go through programs and rituals and performances... Thinking this is the kingdom of God. But the kingdom does not consist in talk, but in power. In its many varied ways. He loves religion. He loves it when people are caught up in programs and rituals and regulations. Because all of that takes your eyes off Jesus. It does. You get so tied up in performing and doing everything right and everything that the, that, that the denomination tells you to do. And I'm talking across the board, even for us, as a kind of a, a denominational group, I'm, I'm using it very much in inverted commas, but it's a group of people with similar values and visions, if we get seduced into programs and patterns, it is so easy to take our eyes off Jesus. Because it's all about the mission of the kingdom. You see, when, when religion takes hold of us, the kingdom takes a back seat. All the rules and regulations smudge the life of Jesus. Meaningless traditions obscure the person of Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. This is your church. It's your salvation. It's your kingdom. That's the first part of the scripture. The kingdom suffers violence. But, says Jesus, the violent take it by force. And this is such an interesting, interesting scripture. Violence, if you look at the original in this context, it means energetic and forceful. Energetic and forceful. 
The Amplified Bible puts that text this way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. What does aggressive faith look like? What does forceful faith look like? And I'm really hoping that in this little section, I can help you see something of the authenticity of what it means to take the kingdom by force. Because we can shandai, shandai, tie my bow tie and go all ballistic and scream and shout and khan an and whatever. It's not going to help. That may look forceful. <laughs> Imagine if there was a barometer in, the, in the, the church, the Lord's barometer, measuring spirituality, true spiritual energy. Hey, lots of huffing and puffing is going to drop that gauge. It's only the fire of the Holy Spirit that's going to lift that gauge. So what I want to do is I want you to look, because the Bible says the violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. So what did it look like in the life of Jesus? And I've got five R's. To, to look at this. First of all, Jesus was a revolutionary. And then, oh, okay. We know what revolution is about, and there are lots of negative connotations, but listen to what the dictionary says. A revolutionary is about a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving. Would you say Jesus fits the description? Of a revolutionary. He was a revolutionary. That's why I tried to kill him. The big difference. Because a lot of other revolutionaries. Have got a lot, of, a lot of other hidden agendas. The agenda for Jesus was crystal clear. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to set up my kingdom. And it's going to take some force. But not like the force of the world. God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. But guess what? In Jesus, our ways become God's way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's kingdom. In lining up with Jesus. Here's Jesus walking into the temple. I would say, a whip in the hand and scooping tables over is pretty revolutionary. There is a divine indignation in Jesus for what really matters. This is my father's house. There was a divine indignation in Jesus that enabled him to scoop the tables over. And listen, it's not just a few nice little tables like our nice little drum tables here. Big tables, cattle, sheep, doves. All over the place. And Jesus ripped into that crowd and he, he bellowed out and he said, My father's house is a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. That's pretty revolutionary. 
I think cursing a fig tree is pretty, is pretty revolutionary. Hey, it's the poor fig tree. I'm just, I'm just like minding my own business. Sorry, this one. <laughs> Prickly pears. <laughs> you see, a revolutionary is not caught up in the status quo. A revolutionary knows what the vision is. He knows what the end goal is and fights for it. Secondly, Jesus was ruthless. Isn't it interesting that, you know, you get these difficult scriptures every now and again. Jesus said, I can... Sorry, let me back up. In, in John 14, Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be dismayed. Oh, peace, thank you, Jesus. Peace is what I want. Then Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Oh, what's that about? You see, isn't it interesting that very often in the spiritual, you have to apply the sword before you can get peace. Listen, when you've got a massive boil on your arm, and it's growing by the day, and it's full of green, pussy rubbish, you don't put a band-aid on. You apply the sword. Scalpel. Let's get the muck out. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. He says the axe is laid to the root of the tree. He's ruthless. This tree that's bearing no fruit must go down. Let the true tree from Abraham, the true, true tree of the father of the faith, the apostolic father of the faith, let that grow up. And so he was, he was not impressed with re religious leaders. He was ruthless with, with, with sidetracks. I mean, listen, Peter was his best buddy. When last did your best friend say to you, Satan, get behind me? I mean, that's pretty serious, isn't it? I mean, that makes Facebook look like comics. <laughs> is Jesus being ugly? No. He is ruthless about the kingdom. Ruthless. No sidetracks. Thirdly, Jesus was rigorous. And this is what rigorous means. Rigorous means vigorous discipline. That's what it means. You can be vigorous, full of vim and vigor, but no, no life and essence. Right? But when you are rigorous like Jesus, you are vigorous in your prayer life. That's forcefully advancing. Listen. This scripture came to me many years ago when I was really in a very hard place. And it says in Hebrews 5 verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and groans to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. I don't think that's only Gethsemane, friend. I honestly don't. I think we get the privilege of seeing the agony in Gethsemane. 
But I believe Jesus lived like that all the time. And when he went away by himself into lonely places, he was able to go with loud cries and groans. And it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his submissive heart. He was heard because his heart was absolutely pure in motive before his father. And so it was with loud cries and groans. Absolutely rigorous. The next one is resolute. Jesus was utterly determined to go to Jerusalem and hang on the cross. He was absolutely resolute. David says, I've set the Lord always before me. And Jesus, always the Father, is at the center in everything he does. I do nothing without a first seeing my Father do it. He was absolutely resolute about accomplishing the commission for which his Father had sent him on a gruesome, gruesome cross. And finally in this section, relinquish. Now listen, relinquish does not mean give up. Relinquish means handing over. Friends, I hope that what you can begin to see is that the weapons we fight with are not carnal, but they have divine power for the pulling down of strongholds. We don't fight as the world fights. And one of the great weapons of Jesus was the ability to relinquish. You see, if a king relinquishes his throne to his son, he's not giving up. He's in a place of victory, but feels this is the time to relinquish my crown and give it to my son. He's not giving up. And so the mark of Jesus is that his, his life was one of relinquishment to the Father in everything. You, you know the scripture, um, Philippians chapter 2, absolute key scripture. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is not the way of the world, is it? He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He relinquished his rights. He could have clicked his fingers and a whole legion of angels would have come down and clapped a few people. Right? He relinquished that right. And that was the mark of Jesus. That was the power of how he forcefully advanced his mission of the kingdom. He says, no one takes my life from me. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Relinquishment. The devil never took Jesus' life. <laughs> Listen, when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, relinquished himself to the Father, the devil had sweet blow all. To do with it. And friends, that is the way 
that we forcefully advance the kingdom. You see, in the kingdom, aggression means a whole different thing. Uh, the world, I mean, sorry. Uh, it, it means a whole different thing. And, but in the kingdom, aggression is a whole different, a whole different look. It's opposite to the world. Our aggression is in the opposite spirit. But it comes with much power. Instead of Jesus fighting for his life, he surrenders himself like a lamb who before its shearers was done and he opened not his mouth. And in the world it looks, oh my goodness, so pathetic. Oh, but we know therein was the power. This humble life, laying his life down, that he might take it up again. In the eyes of the world, pathetic. In the sight of God, powerful. He acted in the opposite spirit. I'm just about there, so if you can hang on a few minutes. You see, our armor in, our, in, in this war is very different to the world. But oh, so much more power. So much more power. Because it's channeled in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Paul's exhortation in our fight against principality, principalities and powers is very interesting. Four times in that passage he says, Stand. Withstand. Stand. Stand. Now, in the world, you can't stand. Yes, no, the oaks will come and take you over. You must do something. Paul says, listen, one of the biggest things in this fight is you stand in God, in the Word. You stand in faith. In fact, the word withstand is the word that we use for antihistamine. It's the antidote to poison. Our standing is absolutely powerful. Like I said, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So let me, let me round off with this little section now. What may seem like passivity to the world is aggressive in the life of faith. And I've got four little P's in the pod. The first one is posture. When we know who we are in God, that is one of the most aggressive aspects of our faith. If you know that you are saved, you are washed in the blood of Christ, the, the Spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a child. You are living in the finished work of the cross. You have absolute assurance of your salvation. That is your posture. And what a posture, because that's where the war gets fought from out of them. Your life is totally focused on Jesus. You are able to say, I'm seated. Yes, posture. I'm seated with God in the heavenly places. Waiting on God is not passive. You see, it's completely upside down to the world, isn't it? No, oh, passivity. On earth can you win any war by being passive? No, friends. 
When you sit in the presence of God, it's an act of war. It's the powerhouse. It's where the gunpowder gets stored. I love that scripture that says, God acts on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards Him. Posture. Right? Prayer. Friends, the quiet place is the powerhouse. Listen. The devil does not mind us talking about prayer. He does not mind the seminars on prayer. What he hates is when people actually pray. Prayer, the quiet place, is where we get our focus. Like Jesus, that rigorous, that rigorous prayer life. So, so many hours in prayer. Part of the warfare, friends, what does Paul say? And pray in the Spirit sometimes? No. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all prayer and supplication. In fact, he says, all kinds of prayer. Okay, we don't have time to go into there, but now, let me, let me encourage you this morning. In our prayer life, praying in the Spirit is an absolute key to forcefully advance the kingdom of God. And what do we mean when we say pray in the Spirit? Because the moment we say pray in the Spirit, we think tongues. But I'll come to that. Listen, praying in the Spirit is like riding a bicycle. You get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, your body's a bit stiff, and now you've got to get in the bike. Do you go into a 100-meter sprint as you get on the bike? No. You start pedaling. Oh, I'm feeling so lousy this morning. Pedal, pedal, pedal. Actually, it's not such a bad day. Pedal, pedal, pedal. Oh, it's nice to feel the breeze in my face. Pedal, pedal, pedal. And then, 10 minutes into it, oh, this is wonderful. Listen, we all struggle to get to that place where we connect with the Spirit. But friends, if you don't start pedaling, you're not going to get there. It's not going to happen through WhatsApp. Pray for the day. No, friends, when you are feeling lousy, when your body is tired and very unspiritual, you pray by faith. I enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and his courts with praise. And I start thanking him for my breakfast and I start thanking him for my wife and I start thanking him for the house and for the clothes and, and, and I say, oh, Jesus, you're here. You start peddling and what happens? The Holy Spirit joins you. Hey, now you are peddling, but it's telaka because now you're feeling the wind at your back. That's praying the Spirit rings. If the devil can keep us in a place of paralysis, friends, you've got to enter in. Am I speaking too harshly? <laughs> but I'm an old man, so. <laughs> friends, it's about entering in. The weapons are not carnal. What about tongues? Friends, I, I don't have a reason why people, not all people are released in tongues. But I can only thank God that even when I was not even asking for it, He just gave it to me. Because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit as a Methodist minister in front of my church. But I had a problem with tongues. 
Hey, I've got into my theology about tongues. Right, you can be baptized in the Spirit, you don't have to speak in tongues, which is absolutely true. Why? Because you shall receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. No. You shall receive power. And I was experiencing the power as a Methodist minister on fire for God again. I don't need tongues. God says, right, my boy, that's cool. I'll give it to you anyway. And one night, lying in bed, I said goodnight to Joel. And this tongue came in my head, but with a fluency and with a melody, noch al. Like a whole package deal. I don't know what's going on here. Anyway, the next morning I woke up and I thought, was I dreaming? But I had a sneaking suspicion that something's happening. So I went up to the church office, closed all the windows, closed all the doors, and I took a deep breath. And this came out in a torrent, like with a melody, a fluid language. And I stopped and thought, this is amazing. Let's try it again. And off. Friends, from that day to this day, I've never stopped praying. Because to me, part of praying in the Spirit is praying in this wonderful heavenly language. Where it is Spirit to Spirit connection. And we are praying mysteries in the Spirit. And friends, it's in that place of being in the Spirit that God changes hearts, He changes minds, He shifts things, and His kingdom advances. Praise. Friends, praise is an absolute key. In all circumstances, Paul says praise. The world thinks we're nuts. No, we praise God. You know, when, when Joel was in hospital a little while ago, and, and it wasn't like just a little thing, I went into, some, uh, into prayer time, and I, and I started worshipping, and I thought, isn't this a bit funny that you are worshipping and your wife's really ill? I thought, no, no, this is right. This is the way. Because God inhabits the praises of His people. It's a key to advancing the kingdom of God. Spiritual worship is aggressive, corporately and individually. It drives away darkness. God inhabits the praises of His people. Praise has won so many battles. Ask Jehoshaphat when you get to heaven. Right? Last one, proclamation. Friends, every time we proclaim the word of God, darkness gets back, goes back. You know, we can shandai, shandai, and we can take on demons and la, 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 la. Let me tell you something. Proclaim the word of God. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and darkness must bow. That's how it works. And listen, we're not just talking about me here proclaiming, and you may be on a, on a, on a uh, soapbox somewhere proclaiming. No. We proclaim the word in our prayers. We proclaim the word over our lives. And darkness moves back. So friends, let me close and say this. The kingdom suffers violence. But the violent take it by force. Friends, it's like that pearl of great price. Man, this guy knew about pearls, didn't he? But when he saw this magnificent pearl, he went and sold everything. 
when people catch a picture of the kingdom, not church, the kingdom and the king, they'll sell everything. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom we're receiving is unshakable. It's immovable. It's irrepressible. It's incorruptible. It's unstoppable. It is the king's domain. Kingdom gives significance to every person on the planet. Kingdom living gives significance to everyday life, life, life. We need big thinkers to stay big, but we need to be involved in the kingdom stuff. You've got to find significance in that, and the kingdom gives you significance.